Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, it's a goodly morning to you all the way in the USA. How are you? I'm very well, and goodly afternoon to you back home in Ireland. Yes, it is, and it is quite... Like, wow. Well, oh, that's my phone. Ignore that. Ignore that. What if it's hot transfer um, news coming in, like, that we all need to know about? It, it, it could be, but it's not typical for my wife to have hot transfer news. Well, fair um, enough. <laughs> she might though you never know you never know football world it's is more strange. like beast that my dog has eaten something poisonous again um again. usually it's in my experience it's that anyway how was your holiday i keep calling it a vacation like people keep saying where's andrew and i'm like he's on vacation i'm oh, saying that to fit in you're you know, sort of fitting in yeah. down with the linger when in rome and all that kind of stuff that that sort of thing when yeah in baltimore or, or orlando it was good. It was good. It was very warm in Spain. So um, as you do, I covered about 100 kilometers walking around the various cities in, in Bilbao and San Sebastian, uh, rather than just sort of sitting still. So I'm kind of exhausted. I'm in that sort of post-holiday, my God, I could do with a holiday, kind of a holiday. <laughs> you know, that way, you know, like I often think yeah. the holiday, you know, I should do get up in the morning, go down to the pool or the beach or whatever it is lie there all day, eat and drink and read books and things like that, which sounds amazing. But I always kind of need to do things and see things. Like, for example, the, the we got to San Sebastian on Wednesday and on the Thursday morning, we said, well, you, we'll walk from the hotel and have a look at the Real Sociedad Stadium. That That's a good mm -hmm. idea. But it was like 31 degrees at 10 o'clock in the morning. And by the time we got there, it was about 34 degrees. Um, went up and said, that's, that's a stadium. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let's turn around and go back. So we had a, a beer at a bar and, and everything else, but look, it was, I'm not complaining. It was wonderful to get away. Um, great to see uh, my daughter who came up from Barcelona for the weekend as well. It was her birthday. So we had a nice time and, uh, here we are, I'm back and, um, ready to go held for leather yet again into another Arsenal season. So, uh, yeah. Good. Good. Rested and restored. Ready for preseason. I think so. Grueling preseason. Yes. Speaking of which, you're there. And it sounds yeah. to me like you're having an experience. In many ways, a very, a very good one. Because I remember when I was there in 2019 and you meet so many fans and so many people who listen to the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And it's great. It's really one of the, the greatest things about doing this is meeting the people who, um, you know, who listen and who appreciate what you do. But you've also been having some, some strange things going on. And I did want to ask you about the giant naked man on, on your bed. 
Sure, sure. Well, I, I've had some experiences with hotels. When I arrived at my hotel in Baltimore, um, the Athletic had accidentally booked it in the name of the man who'd booked it. So they kept <laughs> asking me for ID to prove that I was somebody called Andrew, actually, funnily enough. Right. And uh, I had no ID to suggest that I was called Andrew. Um, and they said, well, can you call him? Uh, and it was like 3 a.m. in the UK at this point in time. <laughs> so I, I declined that uh, option. So that was about a, a 20 to 30 minute negotiation while I attempted to prove who I was. Yeah. But that was nothing compared to what was in store for me in Florida, where I checked into my hotel and they, they knew who I was. They knew my name. The correct name was on the reservation. I was like, this is going so smoothly. They gave me my room key. <laughs> I, up I went to this fifth floor and uh, used the key on the door. It opened. Great. Sometimes they don't program the keys properly. And just as I opened it, I could see this big sort of, you know, double bed in front of me with, as you say, a large naked man completely passed out on it. It was like a scene from the movie The Hangover or something. Mm. Like he, That man had had been lying there comatose for some time he may have been dead i still don't know um face down or face up face up but kind of on his <laughs> side so i right. saw his bum but not his genitalia right um a narrow <laughs> miss there but he, he uh, so the door kind of opened i saw him there and thought that's uh atypical um, although, judging by some of the replies I've had on Twitter, not in, entirely surprised to people who visited Florida before that this might happen. Um, and then the door uh, sort of gently closed as I stood there in complete shock. I went down and explained to um, the woman on the desk, there was a man, a naked <laughs> man in my bed. And she said, I'm, I'm going to have to speak to housekeeping about that, which I thought was very funny. Um <laughs> <laughs> they're always do. They're always leaving the naked man on the bed. We tell them to yeah, just make I up know. the room. Don't leave naked men on the bed. Whatever you do. She also she, she didn't believe me at first. She was like, "Are you sure?" I was like, "I'm pretty sure." Like, <laughs> what else? Could I don't it have think been? I dreamed this. What else could it have been? A moose? You know, like how sometimes hotels will like arrange towels on the end of the bed so they look like a swan. Was this a very complex <laughs> towel arrangement, naturalistically rendered? I don't know. So then she gave me another room key and I was like, great, you know, got another room. She said, do you want to be on the same floor? And I said, definitely not. I was like, if that man has any awareness, I've been in his room and seen him naked. That's not something I want to encounter. Mm. So I was like, put me on a different floor. So we went on a different floor. Uh, this time I entered the room, no signs of human life. Well, no one alive in there. But signs of human life, just like rubbish strewn all over the floor, the sheets thrown off the bed. Mm. Like, it was like a sort of a rock star had just vacated it, TV out the window. And, and this is quite a nice hotel. I was like, this isn't right. I went down. I said to that again. She uh, she assured me once more she's going to speak to housekeeping. I mean, well, they I mean need to do more than speak to housekeeping, I would say, at this point. <laughs> um then, then they gave me a third room key, which was empty and clean, which was just the most monumental relief. My pet, because she was basically every time I came back, 
both times she was like, but the system says it's free. And I was like, well, what do you mean the system says? And I think as the cleaners clean the rooms, mm. they're sort of supposed to like tick the tick a box on a computer system at a certain time. So I suspect somebody, Joe Cleaner, is running late and he's just ticking boxes of rooms, you know, he hasn't even checked. What if, um, what if the naked man was housekeeping? Well, th- that is also a, a, a thought that crossed my mind. <laughs> that he was like, this room's free. I'm exhausted and hot. So take what about a little naked off. nap? Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, a, a crazed fan of the Ask Cast Extra who thought this is the welcome that I would want upon arrival. Um, who knows, Andrew? Who but knows? They offered me free valet parking. Obviously, <laughs> I don't have a car in America, so I was extremely <laughs> grateful for that. And uh, since then, my stay has been seamless. Okay. But it's, you know, yeah. it's very on brand. It's very much a thing that would happen to me. It, it certainly is. It certainly is. Um, how much longer are you there, actually, till the end of the tour? Yeah, till right. Sunday. I fly home on Sunday. I land Monday morning in UK about nine AM. Right. So that's if the uh, long time. that's if the um the runways are still there. I've I've heard reports haven't of, melted. They've melted. Um some of them I think are just on fire right now. Um so, you know, it may be a case yeah. you have to sort of you know the way you just sort of hop off a bus early, you know, just sort of jump out, parachute your way home um, might be the thing. Okay, to, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't see anything going wrong there. But I mean, I, yeah. I have to be honest and say I'm very grateful that I have come to a country with air conditioning at this particular point in time. Yeah. Um, because I, wh- what's the island like? I mean, the UK, it's like 42 de- – it's, it's genuine end-of-the-world weather in the UK, right? Yeah, that, that's not good. We had 40 in Bilbao last week um, for a period in the afternoon. Right now in, in Dublin, it feels very warm. It's very humid. It's about 25, 26. Um, mm. So we're not getting quite the extremes that you guys are getting in the UK, which is absolutely – fine by me um and of course it is a tremendously worrying thing um that the temperatures are that high but obviously you're in a place where there are high temperatures every single summer every single year so they're they're sort of set up for it um in terms of houses and hotels and bars and restaurants and things like that so they are they are air conditioned whereas like in this part of the world air conditioning is seen as some kind of frippery you know we don't yeah. do that kind of stuff here. No, no, no. It's like in a select few coffee shops that have air conditioning. Mm. Uh, and so everyone's sort of crowding into those kind of downing frappuccinos in a desperate attempt to stew off the heat. Mm. It, it's, um, I, I, you know, I've got a pool here, but basically I spend as much time inside as humanly possible. Um, Probably a good idea. Because I will fry. I will fry. But it's been good. It's been hectic because I'm here working, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, we journalist, uh, etc. <laughs> but I am also uh, a fan, and so I keep going to all the fun fan events. So I'm very much burning the candle uh, at, at both ends. Yeah. And by Sunday, I expect to be dead. Um, okay. But, but you know, it's it's been enormously fun. Do you want me to give you the quick kind of 
the yeah. quick rundown? Yeah, because look, I've been away, and I've. It's not that I haven't really been paying um, no attention, but I've been paying what you might call scant attention uh, to yeah. Arsenal stuff because you know part of why I wanted to go on holiday was just to switch off. So I would read Ars blog in the morning and catch up on the news there and and occasionally stuff would pop up on my uh on my phone from the Ars blog app and and stuff like that so i've got the broad strokes of of things but yeah if you can give me the rundown because you're the guy right in the middle of the action and and how it seems how it feels what's been going on what's been good what's maybe not been so good i'm all i'm here for all of that so where where do you want to start okay so well the first thing to say is that everybody is furious and disappointed that i'm here without you they're they're as <laughs> pleased as they are to see me it's it's tinged with uh fury at your fury at your, uh fury <laughs> my, at your my, decision to my refusal to come look i'm very sorry exactly. to everyone I, as i said earlier on it was amazing in 2019 when we went to uh, los angeles and charlotte and uh Washington, uh, Washington DC was amazing, and it would have been great to be there, but timings and everything else just just didn't allow it. So please I, I, accept yeah. accept my apologies. If anyone else is furious, just give them a little pat on the arm from me and say, "Look, I, I'm sorry." I'm so- next time, next. Time. <laughs> I've told them all you're allowed a holiday. Um, uh, so th- I arrived on Wednesday, mm. couldn't get into the hotel. Um, eventually, did went to sleep Thursday. I went over to where Arsenal was staying in kind of the harbour area of Baltimore. I was in downtown Baltimore. Um, I, I, as you know, I have some family in Baltimore. And oh, I yeah. texted them saying, uh, hey, guys, I'm coming over and this is where my hotel is. Like, just wondered if you had any recommendations. Where should I go around here? And, they, and the answer was, uh, uh, nowhere. Stay in your hotel. <laughs> it's the only way for you to be safe. Um, but I defied that a little bit. And um, well, I went down to where... You're a man who went to... Uh, to uh, Le Castellan. Exactly. I explained as much. For goodness you know, sake. I, Do they I, not know who know, they're dealing with here? It's not like I've got a reputation for accidents or misfortune. So <laughs> what could go wrong? So, um, yeah, I went down to the Arsenal Hotel, which uh, was beautiful. I think it's owned by the guy who um, owns or founded uh, the Under Armour company. Right. Uh, it's like opposite the – it's on this stretch of water, which is opposite the Under Armour, I don't know, HQ or something. Right. Um, Under Armour is a big brand in Baltimore. I think – and um, I did, had some interview time. I interviewed – Fabio Vieira. Oh yeah, I read that. Which was, mm. Yeah, which was cool. He's like, you know, he was a bit uh, nervous. I think it's fair to say because, you know, first big interview outside of the club in English as well. Um, had that amazing kind of quality of constantly saying his English was terrible while being genuinely quite impressive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Portuguese people, by and large, do speak pretty good English. Um, I'm, I'm always struck by that. And uh, so that was nice. And I spent some time talking to Matt Turner, who mm-hmm. seems like a very cool, normal guy. Uh, and Granite Shaka, who is rocking an unbelievable tan. I mean, he's had a good summer and he's really balanced, uh, you know, the exposure to UV with protection. And it's resulted in the most extraordinarily <laughs> bronzed look. Um what else can I tell you? So that was fun. Um, and then that night I did a live, kind of like a live uh, podcasty Q&A thing with 
with the guys from the Gooners pod. Sure. Uh, with Mike and um, Stuart McFarlane was on the panel and uh, Mark Brindle, who's the club support liaison officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the guys from the Charm City Gooners, which is the uh, Arsenal America branch in Baltimore, were there. They've got this very cool uh, pub. It's like the Abbey Burger Bistro, which is their pub where they watch all the Arsenal games. And they've had they've like had the whole upper floor decorated f- specifically for them. Like it's painted with murals of like their logo and cool. Arsenal logos. And so yeah, it, that's really cool. And it was packed out, man. Like there were so many people who came from all over. Um, and then Friday, Friday, I can't really remember, but Saturday was the big um, day of the game. Uh, Arsenal were playing Everton, of course. Yeah. And where that Abbey Burger Bistro is, um, there was like a huge block party, like a street party with, I guess, thousands of Arsenal fans. I mean, it was rammed. You could not move. And everybody in their Arsenal shirts, like, you... Obviously, on a game day in England, you see, you know, when you're near the stadium, but it's yeah. so concentrated here and so surreal for someone from the other side of the world to see it in America and speak to people, hear their passion. Mm. They, it wasn't just Baltimore people, you know, like guys had traveled from all over yeah, yeah, to yeah. come and see the game. Um, so that was really cool. And then there was a march. From so yeah, credit to uh, the Charm City Gooners and, and Arsenal America who put that on and made a massive success of the yeah, event. Yeah, they did and something like that. They did something like that in Charlotte. Actually, there was a big, huge right. street party going on, and then they did a march, um, which I, I wasn't part of because I'd um, fucked off to the stadium a little bit early because I was in inverted commas working. You know, um, but it is quite Same. a thing, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and like. Uh, yeah, I was working too. And, and, and basically the problem is people kept buying me drinks. And I was like, I have to, I have to be in a press box in a minute. So it was a good idea. <laughs> if you see me in Orlando, it's a good idea to stand near me because people bring me drinks and I, I'm not allowed to drink them. So I have to give them away. Um, so just stand near me and you, you can get drunk for free. Um, good advice. But yeah. Oh, and, and I met, um, on what I forgot to say is on Thursday or Friday, I met a guy called Aston Mack, who I don't know if you've seen, but he's been like quite prominent in the um, promotion of the new kit, the away kit, the, the black shirt. He's yeah. the guy who he's an Orlando local. And during the BLM protests, he was pictured in an Abamyang shirt and it went very viral and Abamyang retweeted it and it got picked up by men in blazers and his story is kind of amazing. It, it, basically, he he was going out to the protest. He saw it all kicking off around him. And, you know, he, he wanted to be there, but he was scared as well. And he thought to himself, I'm going to put my Arsenal shirt on because that means to him, it's like a, a, a sign of recognition. If, some, if he's out of these protests and someone else sees it and they know Arsenal or they know he's an Arsenal fan, he knows that there's someone he will feel safe with and he'll have that kind of camaraderie with. So, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been great to meet him and hear his story, and uh, he's shown me around Orlando a bit now as well, which is very cool. Um, the game itself, did you see anything of the game? Arsenal two Everton nil. I saw the goals. 
and that was mm-hmm. about the size of it. There was a little William Saliba co- uh, compilation doing the rounds, uh, which I, I watched a little bit. <laughs> watched a little bit of that, um, but uh, no, I didn't. I didn't really see much of it uh, or the lineups or or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, the, what, the what were your observations? Yeah, the headlines were that Arsenal looked really good in the first half. I mean, Everton, I think it was Everton's first friendly. So they were way off the pace. They were almost as off the pace as they were in the Premier League game you came to um, back in May. (laughs) And uh, Arsenal had a very strong front six. You know, it was basically Partey, Shaka, Odegaard, Mm. Martinelli, Jesus, Saka. About as strong as it gets, I guess, Mm. from an Arsenal perspective. And it looked really encouraging, you know, energetic. Jesus, I thought, was very good again. This was my first time really watching him closely in an Arsenal shirt, playing through the middle. So uh, tenacious, got in a scrap with Yeri Mina, um, scored another good goal, good finish at the far post. Um, and was involved in the other one, you know, creating it for Saka. I think Martinelli might have got a touch on the way through, but... So the second half was not a great deal to write home about. Everton made, I think, 11 changes and Arsenal made a good few themselves. Um, Eddie and Ketcher looked pretty sharp, though. Mm. But there wasn't a great deal to say about the second half. But, you know, winning preseason games, it doesn't matter remotely, but it does keep people happy. And I think people will be excited by what they're starting to see happen in attack, and, and particularly from Jesus, who... Arteta's been eulogising about out here. I think everyone at Arsenal is very excited to have him here. It does look like he has settled in seamlessly. Like, immediately he feels, excuse me, and looks like um, an Arsenal player. You know, he... I don't know what it is. I don't know if... um, if that's just projection or whatever it might be. But I think we spoke before he signed where we talked about, you know, maybe a player comes to a club at the right time in his career and also the right time for the club as well. Let's let's be honest about that. And it feels like that situation is playing out right now by how quickly he settled in. He's very comfortable with the lads. I mean, he's a, a good English speaker, you know, after his years in, in Manchester and, and all the rest. He knows the Premier League. He knows England. So issues of adaptation were not there but sometimes you know it can take a player a little while to settle into a new club new routines new training methods whatever it might be but I suppose there's probably some parts of the way that Mikel Arteta works that are analogous to Pep Guardiola and of course his connection with the manager himself is probably playing a part in that too definitely I think you know the Brazilian uh uh, entourage, what's the word? The little uh, Brazilian contingent within the squad is strong. There was a nice video Arsenal did with the three Gabriels, which is worth checking out if right. you've not seen it because, you know, it's uh, it's Frimpon doing, you know, like a little Q&A with sure. Martinelli, Jesus and, and, and Big Gabby. And um, they, uh, the camaraderie between those guys is so evident. And then you throw in... Fabio Vieira, Cedric, Marquinhos, like the, the, the Portuguese-speaking element of the squad is strong and I think helping all those guys feel at home. Right. Um, but also, I know you commented on this before, on the on the first signing video, Jesus's kind of politeness and his respect for everybody. Mm. That's something that um, 
you know, is reflected in every conversation I've had about him, but also just that he is a winner. You know, he's a guy who's coming from a culture where anything but success is a disaster. Right. And bringing that sort of standard into your football club, and it looks like Arsenal are about to bring in another player from mm. that club, and you know, from that level of standards, I think is seen as a very healthy thing and something that elevates the level. And generally, like I've been to training to watch, you know, the opening 20 minutes of training or so twice so far, once in Baltimore, once in Orlando. And they are a really happy camp. And listen, I, I know it's pre-season. I know, uh, you know, they're in beautiful sunshine and I know they're being very well paid, all these things. But I really do believe this group really likes spending time with each other. And you can see that. Um, in all their interactions. So let's hope that continues. I think, you know, Mikel Arteta has spoken a lot about cultural change and wanting to implement that. And sure. when you look at the, the degree of turnover in the squad, he's got to be nearly there at this point. You know, th these are really his guys at this stage and they seem very, very bought in. And even the guys kind of on the fringes, you know, there's nobody, you don't see anybody sulking. You don't see anybody looking disconnected. Um, but that is... Interesting. It is interesting because there was a, an, a, a good question, I thought, on the Discord. So we might just do it because it feels relevant. Uh, it comes from Frankie underscore Fess, who said, do you agree? Do you agree with or believe the clean slate approach for each player at the start of the new season? I think Michael Arteta said something. Um, I saw some quotes, you know, how everybody's, yeah. everybody's starting on a, a clean slate, etc., etc. And, you know, I get exactly what he's saying and why he is saying it, you know, because how do you keep people invested? How do you keep them motivated? If they don't think they've got a chance, then you just absolutely are not going to get anything out of a, a, a any professional sports person beyond, you know, the 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 bare minimum, I think, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I, I do think there is something interesting in that because, you know, I, I think it's right, maybe, or fair to give everyone a clean chance. But I also think that there are players probably in the squad right now whose um, futures lie elsewhere, who the manager has made his mind up on already, regardless of what they do during this preseason. I mean, that's not an unfair um position to take but i think his his comments are about keeping everyone as invested as possible for as long as they're here because you never know when you might need them yeah i i, I as you say i did actually ask him about this because arsenal have got a big group out here 33 players five goalkeepers you know it's mm. i have a, another a question clubs, after this actually so yeah go on right a lot of clubs would not have taken that decision you know they might have been a bit more well, you could say ruthless in terms of sort of saying we're just going to take the guys who are part of things here or, you know, we're going to, if players are going to move away, we're going to leave them behind. Um, so I asked about that. And yeah, Arteta said, I've got it here. He said, um, they've given, we have a lot of really, really good people here. They've given everything when they play and when they don't play, when we are not using them. And for me to send a different message to the group would be very, very inconsistent with what we demand. So they're in the group or they're not. They're part of us. They're contracted to the club. We want the best out of them. And the moment at the moment, they're with us. So we're going to treat them like this. So I, I think, yeah, for him, it's about a kind of, not ethical, but a sort of question of um, inclusivity and attitude. And if he's going to spread this message of togetherness and unity, mm. 
to say, well, we're unified apart from you five, you're staying at home, <laughs> would, would be a contradiction, right? And would probably weaken his messaging and his position. So that's what he's decided to do. Don't get me wrong. I don't think all of those 33 players are like, well, I guess I belong here again now and I'm definitely going to stay. And actually, I like England. Like, I don't think everyone's thinking that. Yeah. But I do think that they're, you know, everybody feels involved uh, and part of it to an extent. But it, it's, you know, some, someone asked a question, we'll get to it later probably, where they were like, which of these names do you think will actually stay or go? And don't get me wrong, plenty of these guys are going to go because 33 players, which is what I've got out here at the moment, mm. it's far too many. It's, it's unwieldy. It's impractical. Sure. We, I mean, we had a lot of questions um, about why young players weren't taken on the tour and quite a lot of what's happened in recent years with the tours is young players being brought out and used um, mm -hmm. in games and people get a bit excited about, yo, he looks ready, he looks good. Um, but, of course, when you do have a huge group with five goalkeepers um, and also 25 other players who are basically all you know, in name, first team players, it makes it difficult. So uh, AS37 Gunnar said, what do you make of the lack of youth team players on the tour? Under previous managers, we had a lot more. If you, uh, if it were you, would you uh, bring them into the fold or would you simply try uh, to ready the first 25-man squad? And he says, it's also worth highlighting that in nearly three years, Arteta has handed out just one academy player's debut, Charlie Patino. It didn't go great and he never played him again. Is that slightly worrying for you? Which is a, it was a separate thing and I'm not sure you know the the reluctance to play academy players uh, is quite as separate from giving them their debut because you've got to have players who are ready in order to do that but is it just a consequence that we have so many of these first team guys who could be going elsewhere and that has basically made it difficult to bring these young players that's what I said he, he said it was he, he he was asked, is it tough to leave uh, academy players at home? And he said it was, but it was impossible. Mm. And he said, look, we've got Flo Balogun here. Um, we've got Rule Walters as well, who's a young defender who came on against Everton. I think it's quite highly rated. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a, it's a curious situation, isn't it? Because while he may not have given debuts to a vast amount of academy players, he has certainly overseen the development of a number of academy players into regular first-team players. Mm. Um, you know, Bukayo, Emil, Eddie Nketiah now. Martinelli, um, who's not necessarily Martinelli. academy, but you know. Sure. It's not like there's been a reluctance uh, to embrace youth. And I think that, you know, I, I, I'm sh I think we've got a question later about Amari Hutchinson going to Chelsea, but so that, you know, it's not like there's not talent within the squad and, and maybe there might have been more opportunities, but I think it was just a question of practicality. Ultimately, he made the decision to take those 33 players away um, and there's only so many seats on the plane yeah. in a very literal sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, so... I, I get it. I, w I was excited to see young players too. I would have liked to have seen one or two. It's one of those elements of preseason that um, is intriguing to me. But I, I do wonder as well, did that decision to take some of those fringe players away, you know, is that... Shop window? Partly connected to, yeah, like, is it connected to the market? I mean, if you publicly say, right, Lucas Terreri, you're not even coming on tour. Yeah, you're not exactly doing much to raise the price tag, are you? No, um, no. 
so uh, you know, I think it's partly that. I think, you know, for example, Burn Leno, Arsenal are in talks with Fulham about a fee for Burn Leno. If they leave him behind, Fulham probably think we've got the upper hand here, you know? Yeah. Um, taking him away is, is almost a move within the negotiation. So I, I, I was disappointed too, but um, I also understand it. And that's kind of the sort of philosophical decision Arteta's made about yeah. the composition of the squad. Well, we do this um, because you did mention that question. I, I, I think it's the one from Carter Speary, who's at Call Me Joey 9. And he said, quick fire, mm. strongly disagree, disagree, agree, strongly agree that each of these players will leave permanently or on loan at the end of the window. Um, so he said, Leno, I think I'd strongly agree. I strongly agree. I think he'll. I think he'll go somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Runerson strongly agree. Strongly agree. I think he'll go. Hector Bellerin. I would also strongly agree. Yeah, I think he'll get his move. Pablo Marie. I'd agree, but uh, not necessarily quite as strongly. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I think I said last time we did a podcast. I've. He, he's the one I've got a sneaky suspicion might mm. be here beyond the win the window partly because he's a left footer and partly because I'm not sure yeah. what's out there for him. So I- I'd say, yeah, he-, he could well go. Agree, but I'm not certain of it. Right. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I'll let you go first. Um, I think strongly agree. I think they'll find uh, a place for him to go, yeah. Mm. I don't know if you saw... Um, did no. you see the little social clip of Arteta's reaction to a misplaced pass from Ainsley Maitland-Niles in the Everton friendly? I might have, yes. With throwing, it was like uh, I don't throwing wish his arms. Uh, too much from that, but yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, he did I, himself any favors. No, right. Uh, I think I'd strongly agree on that one. Uh, Lucas Torreira, strongly agree. Strongly agree. I think he'll go, and and it wouldn't surprise me if they have to cut a, a deal that doesn't look particularly attractive yeah. at all. But, but you know, there you go. Uh, Nicholas Pepe. Um, I'm going to say agree, but I don't think it's a sure thing. Mm. You know, the finances involved for any club taken in Mars probably substantial, and um, yeah. So I, you know, I, and it's not. It's not like there's been loads of reporting of interest no. in Nicola Pepe to this point. No, I think I would agree, verging towards disagree. But again, it might be really? one of those yeah. where towards the end of the window something happens. And uh, Flo Balagoon, I would say, strongly agree that he will go on loan somewhere, not permanently. That would be my thinking. I'll say agree. I think he he could well go on loan, but. Um, it wouldn't blow my mind if it wasn't until January, okay. just because of the cup games and the um, Europa League group stage. Yeah, I, I know there are clubs interested in him, and there have been some initial chats about it, but nothing firm at this point. Um, so it's something that's being explored as a, as an option. Um, but yeah, we'll see whether or not they choose to do it before the end of the window. So you know, that's a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players. Mm. Um, we could all could all go, yeah. Um, which would certainly slim things down a bit. Yeah. So yeah, and then. Um, but you, you mentioned earlier. I mean, there's one more one more coming, or it seems imminent anyway. That uh, Alexander Zinchenko is going to sign from from Manchester City, and Arsenal have pretty quickly turned their attention away from Lissandro Martinez to um, Zinchenko, who there had been previous uh, rumblings about. I think you would say. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about what Manchester United paid for Martinez and what Arsenal are going to pay for Zinchenko, I mean, the difference is basically another decent player if you were so minded to yeah. do so. Like, the fee difference is quite substantial. So I can understand why Arsenal... <sighs> They didn't really go to the ends of the earth to pursue their interest in the player once it got beyond a certain point. No, I th- and I think, to be honest, the same is true of the fee paid for Jesus versus if Arsenal had gone after, I don't know, Darwin Nunes or Tammy Abraham. Mm. You know, maybe we're, maybe that's because we're shopping in a, a slightly different level and, and that's something we have to do financially. But I think that the, the deal for Lissandro went way beyond Arsenal's expectations on price. You know, I think Arsenal probably thought, oh, we could get this guy for about 40 million quid. And I think I'm right in saying that the total outlay, if if all the um, kind of optional add-ons are triggered, could be 67 million euros, according to Ajax, which is just a vast amount mm. of money. Um and a surprising outlay for a United team who I think intend to play him as a centre-back when they have Harry Maguire, who they've just kept on as club captain, and they have Rafael Varane, who's one of the highest-paid defenders in Europe. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, a few eyebrows have been raised at, at that business. Yeah. But I think he's a very good player, and I think he will be a good player. I don't think that's in question, but whether or not he was good enough for Arsenal to justify, you know, such a big sure. proportion of their budget. Um, mm. I'm not so sure. And Zinchenko, I mean, we spoke about it when he was mentioned a few weeks ago, when he was a little bit further down the priority list. Uh, you know, we both thought it was a signing that made a ton of sense. And yeah. at the price we're talking about, £32 million for a guy coming from the Premier League champions, loads of Premier League football under his belt, a good age, feels very reasonable and fair price. I, I, I'm delighted with this one. Yeah, I like it too. I like it too. I think he's a very good player. Um, he's, you know, it, it's clear that Mikel Arteta is building a squad which is technical, more technical than perhaps we've had, and versatile. And I don't quite know, you know, we, we've talked about Fabio Vieira, for example. Where exactly is he going to play? And, uh, you know, your piece, you talked about was it? A, he, I think it was in your piece where he talked about like ten is his favorite position or where he feels most comfortable. Ten's his favorite. Yeah, I, as I said to him, everybody says that. <laughs> <laughs> but he can play number eight. He can play wide. That's one. Mm. Tra- he could play a bunch of positions. You know exactly. And Zinchenko could play left back. He can play in central midfield, as we've seen for Ukraine. Um, doesn't he was a winger as a teenager. Yeah, um, didn't get a lot of he, chance he, he to play, play there for City. Yeah. Yeah, he could play a lot of places. There, um, but there is a versatility to the the players that we're bringing in. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, he is our number nine. He's going to be our centre forward. But we know he can play anywhere across the forward line. Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli. You could switch sides. You know, some of them you can switch them inside a little bit. Even the defenders. When you think about Tommy Asu playing right back, left back, left centre half. Saliba can play across the central defensive positions. Ben White ben can White. play at right yeah. back, centre half. Kieran Tierney can play centre half in a three, etc., etc. Etc. Et so there is that element of areas of the pitch where there's a great uh, 
more versatility perhaps to give us more depth i'm not quite sure or whether it's Mikel arteta thinking that he wants to be less predictable because you know we could sit here or we sat here i'm sure at certain points last season and if you'd asked us to you know if everyone was fit what's the team going to be we could have named it and the only one we might have been able to or the one we might have been um humming and hawing over is it martinelli or smith row on the left whereas everything else kind of picked mm. itself you know that way yeah and i think just picking up on little bits and pieces he sort of hinted at i think the introduction of five subs is also something that's in his mind i think he thinks that that may require arsenal to be more tactically flexible within games, I think. Or, or maybe, you know, he's anticipating that opponents will more easily be able to change things up or bring on an extra centre-half or, mm. you know, go to a five at the back. And I think there's going to be a little bit more of a chess element, maybe, about some of these games. And having pieces that, you know, you can use in different areas and play in different ways um, gives Arteta that flexibility um i think zinchenko the reason he's such an interesting signing uh, is that he can improve us i think in certainly two areas of the pitch i think he i think he can give us better options uh, at left back than we currently have and i think he can give us better options in midfield he take he lifts the squad quality of the squad um so i i think it's a signing that um just makes a load of sense really and and uh, I'm really intrigued to see how he gets on. I, as far as I hear, you know, City are in America, Zinchenko's in America, um, and I think Arsenal are exploring the possibility of trying to get him to join up with the tour while they're still here rather than sending him back to London for a medical. So right. that could be one to watch in the next couple of days. I've got a friend who's a pilot over there. He works for Southwest Airlines. So if uh, the club need a hand, just give me a shout. I'm sure we could get him a discount. Uh, flight oh, from, from wherever he is to wherever he needs to be in America. But we had a, a question, and before we go into maybe part two, uh, we'll take this question from Nathan Strauss, who's at Nathan P. Strauss on Twitter. He said, terribly hot and badly morning. Sounds to me <laughs> like Nathan does not have air conditioning wherever he is. He said, how do you evaluate the criticisms about signing former Man City players? For me, it's Arsenal exploiting a market inefficiency with City players being quality while being able to leave at market value. But I understand the critiques. But I have to say, I don't necessarily understand criticism of signing someone like Gabriel Jesus. So what, what, what is there to criticize? Or, or Zinchenko? I mean, it's people will, you know, I guess it's the... The meme culture, oh, you're just going back to Man City and that's the only thing you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But these are two very, very good players who would bring, as you say, a lot to this squad right now. Yeah, I guess it's that idea of like, you know, a City reject, you know, a guy who's been not good enough for a club that we um, imagine ourselves <laughs> to be in competition with. But... You know, City are on another level at, at the present point in time. And also, these aren't players who weren't good enough for City. These are players who played a lot of football mm. for City. Both Sinchenko and Jesus were really important to Guardiola. We spoke earlier about bringing people in from a winning culture, what that can do, the experience they have, the trophies they've won. Um I think I'm right in saying Zinchenko is an, yet another international captain. 
within our squad. Right. Um, if he's not the official captain of Ukraine, he's definitely one of the sort of leadership figures and has worn the armband for them. Um, so I, I don't have any qualms. I guess maybe it's a hangover from people saying, oh, we just used to you know take players off Chelsea. But big difference in, in the age profile of these players mm. and the time at which they're coming to Arsenal and the reason for which they're coming to Arsenal. They're coming to Arsenal for the peak years of their career. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I have no reservations on that, really. And I've spoken about this before, but when you buy a player, there's so much of it that's a gamble. Like, they can have the perfect data sheets. They can have been brilliant in their previous team. You can do, you know, you can do your research, send scouts, but there's so many variables that affect the efficacy of that transfer. And you could, a deal that looks on paper like an absolute winner can just not quite work out. Mm. So anything you can do to eliminate that uncertainty, I think improves the investment. And so if Arteta is, is, choosing players whose attitude and ability he knows firsthand, that seems to me to be relatively intelligent and reduce mm. the kind of scale of the gamble. Oh, it's just, that was just, I was sitting here thinking that's just such a smart thing to say. I'm, I just, <laughs> every so often, every so often. No, I mean, you're absolutely one. right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, particularly, I, I suppose, when, you know, after a big summer last summer and what's looking like it's going to be a big summer again this summer, it does raise the expectations. It raises the pressure. It raises, you know, what people expect you to deliver based on the money you've spent on the players that you have brought in. So I think thinking like that or along those lines um, is no surprise, really, you know? So if you know you've got a sure thing in a in a player that you know and have worked with in the past who you know isn't going to come in and be Billy Big Bollocks and, and upset everybody or or is going to be too timid or whatever to settle in, then, yeah, it does, it does make a lot of sense. Um, because, yeah. you know, there is... There is um, a lot of stuff that people will do around transfers where they seek uh, character references and, you know, what are they like in training? What's it like when they lose? How do they how do they react when something goes wrong? All of those kinds of things, because talent is, you know, talent is one thing, but being able to deal with adversity, et cetera, et cetera, is another. And uh, look, I have to say, I really like Zinchenko as a player, um, gives us very good depth at left back if that's where he's going to play and look I, I think what we'll do is we'll take a break because I'm going to come back with another Zinchenko question because there were loads of them about where the hell he's going to play um, so will we take a little break get a cold drink of whatever it is and come back with part two yeah and, and just quickly yeah. to stay on that signing players from City point um, I, I think it would be more cause for concern if it was all we were doing but in the same summer you know we've taken a sort of 35 million punt on a kid from Portugal with one season under his belt, Fabio Vieira, who, yeah. you know, looks to be a very exciting talent. So it's not as if we're purely conservatively only going for players Mikel knows. We are also being speculative in certain situations within the squad. Yeah, so that's fair. You know, I think it's a more rounded policy than, than it might appear. And, and 
I'm sure there are players we could take from City that I wouldn't be excited about. Um, but Zinchenko and Jesus are, are not among them. Yeah, look, signing two 25-year-olds from the champions uh, seems pretty decent to me and far preferable than signing 33-year-olds from uh, other places. You know, those late-stage, this will be a comfortable um, couple of years at Arsenal. We've been there, done that, worn that T-shirt. It's a really shit T-shirt and nobody wants to wear it anymore. So let's take the break here. We'll come back with more of your questions in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member. On Patreon, I've got myself a cold, refreshing drink for part two. A um, Mm -hmm. Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing IPA, which I'm going to uh, open right now and um, enjoy during the second half of this show. But I did say we had other questions about um, Zinchenko. So on the Discord, Ash Richards 90 said, does Zinchenko's arrival and ability to play that left central midfield role avoid the need of a Tielemans? And Payne 992 said, uh, with, uh, with Zinchenko signing imminent, do you think he'll be played left back or central midfield? And what will this mean for, the, uh, for Tavares or the potential signing of, of Tielemans? And indeed, what might it mean for someone like Granit Xhaka if he's being earmarked to play in midfield? So, what do you reckon? Yeah, Tielemans, Tierney, and Tavares are, are the people who this may impact. <laughs> I think. Um, well, Lissandro Martinez was being pursued as a left back, primarily, right? A right. guy who could play centre back, could maybe play centre midfield, but the idea I think would have been for him to play left back. Um, my best guess, and at this stage it is a guess is that the same will more often than not be true of Zinchenko. Um, partly because, you know, we know Arsenal were looking in that area. They've missed out on one player, turned to another. And also because I just think Granit Xhaka 
you know, if he's here and he's playing a very active role in the tour and doing a lot of media work, um, mm. got that glorious tan. Well, I yeah. don't get the sense he's about to uh, depart. And I just think, I just think, as has always been the case, if he's there, he plays. Um, but I think what's interesting about Zinchenko is obviously he's, he's about four or five years younger than Shaka. And I think in time, he may be the, the kind of Shaka replacement. You know, whether Zinchenko starts at left back or in central midfield, um, he will effectively replace a lot of the kind of deep mm. build up stuff in that left flank that Shaka used to do. I mean, Zinchenko's probably his best ability is his passing, like his passing numbers are excellent. Um, and certainly that's an area in which he has an advantage over Tierney. But, um, it, I mean, he might move around. If he's required in centre midfield, he might play there. But I think if I think if Arteta was picking his best 11 on day one of the season, uh, my hunch is it's got Zinchenko in it as a left-back. What do right. you think? Well, look, I, I noticed him blogged on Sunday about some... Uh, little niggles that players have and Kieran Tierney is one of those and we know he had knee surgery and I think they're probably going to not quite give him the kid gloves treatment but make sure that he is 100% ready um, before they really throw him back into action. So yeah, it it just strikes me as natural cover for for Kieran Tierney but I suppose it then does have a knock-on effect for Nuno Tavares. Um, We know there was some interest from Mm -hmm. Marseille and uh, some interest from other uh, clubs as well. Um, I don't know if I dreamt or, you know, yesterday was a long day of travel, you know, um, plane delays and all kinds of things uh, at Bilbao Airport and what have you. But I thought I saw a story where he was determined, you know, one of those, he, he wants to stay and fight for his place uh, kind of stories around Nuno. But if Arsenal have Tierney and Arsenal have Zinchenko, I don't know that there's really room for Nuno Tavares. Um, yeah, I think he does want to stay. I think he does, for sure. But maybe alone would kind of be the best thing for him. Um, yeah. I think it would really benefit his development. And it might mean that some of the kinks to his game, if we can call them that, yeah. might be ironed out. Uh, not on our time, if you see what I mean. Sure. Did we... Um, by the way, sorry, I meant to ask you, because I saw a question... Um, which I can't find now, I'm sorry, but it was something along the lines of, based on the Everton game, do you expect us to play three at the back more with Saliba? Um, did we play three at the back against Everton? I think we may have done, yeah. It looked certainly that way. Gabriel, not at the start. We started in a four um, with Saliba uh, next to Gabriel right. and Cedric and Tavares as fullbacks. But I think in the second half... Um, we switched it up. Gabriel seems to be playing on the left of the three. Um, yeah, it's possible. I mean, you know, Arteta, I think, as I said, I think he thinks there's going to be a lot of flexibility required in the league this season. Mm. Um, so, yeah, T- Tavares going on loan, I think, has got to be a strong possibility. The, sto- the story always was kind of Arsenal would consider letting him go if they got a left back in. I think they will see the signing of Zinchenko as giving them enough numbers in that part of the pitch. The, the Tielemans one, it's sort of become a kind of summer saga, but it's almost become one um, that's played out in the in the media, sort of maybe more so than behind the scenes because 
you know, in the last few weeks on that, as far as I know, kind of nothing has happened. Arsenal mm. had a strong interest in the player and um, felt that, you know, they were in a good position. The player felt that that might be where he would end up. Um, and then it really, really cooled away. And I don't know if Arsenal would do a Zinchenko and a Tielemans. I guess it really depends where they see Zinchenko playing a lot of his football. And mm. um, tricky one, tricky one. That I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm, I really, I, honestly, if you ask me if Tielemans signs for Arsenal by the end of the window, uh, I feel like right now it would be a toss of the coin for my answer. I, right. I, I couldn't tell you. Um, hmm. Do you think that we still need another central midfield player? Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind one. I wouldn't mind yeah. one. But if, if, as you say, Zinchenko can play in there, I think I had this conversation, though, didn't we, about um, Lissandro Martinez. It's like versatility is good, but, you know, sometimes you need specialists uh, in certain areas, so I'd be I'd be interested to see what kind of role they envisage for Fabio Vieira as well. Um, whether he is considered quite ready for that area of the pitch, maybe, maybe not. I don't quite know. Um, Probably not at the start of the no, season. I, would I wouldn't have thought certainly, so. Certainly, you know. Well, he's hardly um, trained, yeah. even has he? So yeah, and he, you know, I think physically there's. Um, work to be done mm. should we say in terms of him getting him up to the right level and he's not really trained yet he's in the gym and I th he is running but he's not you know taking part in full contact he picked up an injury at the back end of the season mm. on international duty um so yeah I, I i think i don't think zinchenko is the end of arsenal's business i think they will i think they'll sign at least one other player but i, I if I had to put a position on it, I think it will be a, a winger. I think right. it would be a Rafinha alternate. Well, we had a yeah, we had a, a question from Clive. He said, "Who said uh, Clive P A F C? Uh, who said we need a versatile winger to add to our four group? Presuming Pepe leaves, which I think is um, a factor in this. Firstly, do you agree? And if so, have you got any gut feelings on who that might be? And that's like my least um, best bit of." Uh, football uh, understanding and knowledge is like who it could be who out there in Europe is the player that we would go for um, I, I literally have no idea but I think if we brought Zinchenko in and you asked me or you told me right you can only make one more signing where would you make it I'd go for a winger yeah because you can if you, if you want you can play Tierney as left back and Zinchenko as your left eight, right? Mm. And that, that that's perfectly viable. I think he's flexible enough to do that job really well. Um, and I just think adding a bit more of the sort of devastation that Rafinha would have given us would be beneficial. And actually, sort of my understanding of the situation was that, in some ways, you know, Arsenal really liked Lissandro and they liked Zinchenko. But if they couldn't get either of those, and I wrote that time, mm. they probably would have stuck with Tierney and Tavares, who, you know, it's not that they are particularly, un especially unhappy with those guys. It's just sort of different profiles of player. But the, the the wide forward, if Pepe is to go, is almost more of a necessity, I think, in a lot of people's eyes. So mm. I think uh, they will do something there. And honestly, I, I have no idea who it is. The, the only thing I could say 
He's not really a wide forward, but the guy Lucas Paqueta from Lyon, who we were linked with, I don't think that's. I don't. I think that he's liked, but I don't think he fits that particular requirement. He would be seen as more of like a an eight ten, and mm. you know, Arsenal have done Vieira. They've got Odegaard. They've got Smith Rowe. They've got Jacques. They've got, you know, yeah, marauding midfielder Granit Xhaka. So I don't think that's the one. Mm. I think, um, yeah, it's probably a name that's not out there yet. And credit to Arsenal, in the case of Fabio Vieira, it didn't get out until the deal was basically done. So I'm sure they're hoping they can keep it that way. Yeah. I mean, there's a Um, few names doing the rounds, but I'm not sure how much um, truth there is to them. I've seen, um, I saw people talking about Leroy Sané, which seems uh, unlikely. But again, he used to play for Man City, though. Yeah, so he's a player Mikel Arteta knows, and actually, I think he was one of the guys that you know credited Arteta with with helping him a lot in terms of the the player that he, he became and um, the guy at Wolves, um, Neto. Pedro Neto, of course, Portuguese speaker. So that really you know lends credence to everything. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know who it would be. Um, maybe it'll be somebody out of the blue. I, I, I don't know. But I think that that's that is the one position where I feel like, um, we could do with it because when you think about midfield options, um, Partey, Elneny, Lukonga, Xhaka, Odegaard, Zinchenko, if he comes in. Vieira, if necessary. Vieira, if necessary. Am I forgetting anyone else? I could be. I mean, well, nobody's really mentioned Sambi. Think Saka, you know, yeah, could be yeah, playing there. Um, um, so yeah, there's a, there's a few. There's a good few. I mean, there's others like Maitland Niles who you know probably will go. Um, Torreira probably go, but uh, numbers is not really an issue. I don't think in that no. particular part of the pitch. Um, yeah, and I mean, wow, Sane, I'd be over the moon with that. Um, but I have absolutely no idea if there's any truth to it. it feels, you know, expensive. But then, I, yeah. But then I, you know, I thought when I first heard it, I thought Rafinha felt difficult and expensive. Well, I was right in the end. But um, you know, we Arsenal, Arsenal really tried. Um, mm. and maybe they would try for another player of that caliber. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I, I think. So what will we have done? We'll have done Matt Turner. Uh, Zinchenko, Fabio Vieira, Gabriel Jesus, William Saliba back from loan. Yeah, I I, I do like that list so far. Um, yeah, it, I mean, I have to say, I, I tried to talk about this very briefly in the the blog today because it's more a sensation I have than anything concrete, if you like. But just thinking about the makeup of the squad and what we've added to it so far and what we might potentially still add. Like I know the, the other side of it is like the bloat, you know, mm-hmm. this is, this is the bloat we have and we've got to get rid of certain players. We've got to try and get some money in. I think we all know that, but my strong expectation is that the final couple of weeks of the, the window are going to be mental, like genuinely mayhemically mental. Is that a word, mayhemically? I don't know if it is. It is now. It is now. Um, And a lot of the players that we are looking to move on are end-of-window players. Like the players that we Mm. bought are not end-of-window players. You don't get Gabriel Jesus at the end of the window. You know, that's not how that works. Whereas 
players like Maitland-Niles, Torreira, Hector, you know, guys who, who probably know their time is up. You know, clubs get desperate, players get desperate, money gets slushed around, compromises are made, all that kind of stuff. A lot of the outgoing stuff feels like end of window to me. But what yeah. we've done, what we've done to sort of bolster key areas of the squad really does feel exciting to me. Like someone like Saliba coming into the back line, Gabriel Jesus slotting in as well as he has, uh, Zinchenko, like this is a guy who can come in and hit the ground running. Uh, those kind of signings, they feel really, they feel like they're part of something considered strategic, uh, and all the other things that we've talked about over the last number of months, when it comes to how we're going to build this squad, the scattergun sticking plaster approach to recruitment is gone. And mm -hmm. that can give you excitement. Like here's a question from Chris uh, at big dog, uh, big boss dog 84. He said, are you excited for next season? For the first time in ages, I am really buzzing to see this group gel, develop and grow together. And that's kind of, where I am with this, you know, cognizant of what other teams are doing. And it is, uh, what was the phrase we used a couple of weeks ago? Arms race, like an arms race for top four. And it seems more true than ever. But if that raises levels and raises people's um, competitiveness, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I am excited. And being out here has only amplified that excitement, you know, um, by the way, in my list of signings, I did forget to mention Marquinhos, who oh, yeah. came in for Sao Paulo. I know it's a slightly different type of deal. Um, and in the discussions about a wide player, you know, he shouldn't be excluded from that chat. Unfortunately, I think he's carrying a slight knock at the present time. So mm. he's not played yet in the preseason. He's a bit of a um, unit, isn't he? He's a, you he's, know, he's oh, a man. solid lad. Yeah, he reminds me in build of kind of Alexis or something like yes. that. You know, he's stocky. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some excitement around him if and when we, they can get a proper look at him. So hopefully mm. this week he might get out on the, on the pitch because obviously preseason is kind of critical to deciding what happens with him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I am really excited. And, uh, it, it, you know, w the new players are one thing, but it's the young players as well, the likes of Saka and Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, um, you know, even at the back, people like White, Tommy Asu, Ramsdale, all these guys still relatively young and still mm. in a position where year on year they should be improving. So, yeah, I, I am looking forward to seeing it. And, and I feel, like I, say, I, I, like I said in the part one, I feel very enthused by how engaged everybody is. I mean, obviously, it can all change very quickly when you're into the grind of Premier League football and competitive mm. results and what that can do to morale. But of course, I don't doubt that we're going into the season in a, a good frame of mind. And, you know, even if we don't get another deal, let's assume Zinchenko gets over the line without a hitch. If we don't get another deal done by the time we play the first game, you know, we have strengthened the squad significantly. Um, it's not a question that we've left ourselves with aching, gaping gaps in the squad. It's not like we've gone into the season without a new centre-forward. Agree, know? agree, agree. There is, you know, there are still concerns and relative, um, reasonable concerns that people might have about key positions, you know, and I, I do think 
the the reason people are so invested in a winger is, you know, we want more goals, we want more excitement, we want more threat, but we also want Bakayo Saka um, to, you know, stay alive and not be run into mm-hmm. the ground and all that kind of stuff. So that's part and parcel of that uh, discussion as well. But if Saka has to play the first two or three games before we get a player in that position in, bearing in mind as well that, you know, we can play Gabriel Jesus on the right. We can play uh, Gabriel Martinelli on the right as well, who has played there before. We're not, we're not leaving ourselves short for a few games. It's, making sure we have that player over the course of the season, which I think is um, which is really important. Um, the, the, what's the stuff on Saka's contract um, that I saw? Yeah. Sort of like so, you were there and uh, I know you... I was there. You could see the quotes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so the quote was, um, uh, it was Kaya Kainak who asked Mikel about uh, his optimism. He said, are you optimistic of getting Saka's contract? tied up uh, this summer. And I want to get it right because, uh, you know, people like to read a lot into these things. Mm -hmm. So Arteta said, we will try. We both have the same intention. It is a matter of time. Now, the only thing I'd say about that is, obviously, <laughs> we both have the same intention is, is pretty clear, and that's a real positive to hear that, right? At least as far as yeah. Arteta is concerned, Saka wants to stay. The matter of time thing, you know, colloquially, if an English person says it's a matter of time, often they mean it's a formality, you know, like yeah. it is effectively done and it's a question of when it's announced. I didn't get the sense um, that that is what he meant in that moment. I think he meant more... It is a question of time. It, you know, yeah. our intention is the same. It is a question of whether it will get done in the summer or not. Um, but it was a pretty positive response. And that is uh, reflective of the club's optimism about it. I don't think there's been a massive step forward or big update or something particularly imminent. But I know it is a focus of for them this summer, like as much as any... Mm transfer business you know that it's something they really want to do and i think it is the one player contract that they are really focused on it'd be huge though wouldn't it it'd be just like it'd be a big big announcement and it'd be a big boost to the fan base and the team as well i guess and look i don't think it hurts that gabriel jesus and bakayo saka hook up uh, so to speak, in their first game together and and uh, contribute to uh, a goal, you know? Um, mm-hmm. That sort of thing should really help. And, like, uh, I think the, the important part of that quote you read out was the intention is the same. So it's not yeah. a question of, like, we have to convince Bakayo Saka to be here. We just have to make sure the conditions are right for Bukayo Saka and his agent to say, yes, let's sign this thing. And some of those will be financial, some will be other things, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you know, this should be one that we can get done. And I think it would be really, really big uh, to announce that. And hopefully they can do that before the start of the season because it'd be just nice to get it out of the way before the season begins, wouldn't it? Definitely. And, you know, part of the reason that I am quite confident about it is simply that, you know, Arsenal are going to be able to offer him a huge uplift. Um, 
the contract that he signed, you've got to remember that was after an FA Cup final in which he didn't get off the bench. You know, he was kind of impressive and had played at left Mm. back and was clearly a big talent. But at the point that contract was signed, he was not a mainstay of the team or a fixture in the team by any stretch of the imagination. And it, you know, it lifted him up from his sort of academy level contract to, uh, you know, what we would all consider a a fantastic wage, but in Premier League terms was uh, relatively modest. And this contract is going to make him, you know, one of, if not, you know, one of the highest paid players in the club. So sure. It's 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 quite easy and straightforward for Arsenal to make an attractive offer, especially when you consider, and this is what I, I think one of the big stories at Arsenal over the past sort of eighteen months, the sheer amount of money that has come off the wage bill. When you start thinking about the players who have left the club, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, the big the big three would be, I guess, sort of Özil, Aubameyang, um, Lacazette. But there are many more, and there could be many more people like Bernd Leno, Hector Bellerin, um, Lucas Torreira. You know, these are all help Nicholas Pepe. Mm. These are all substantial earners at Arsenal. They've got a lot to play with, and so I really think they'll be able to make Saka an offer that that fulfills what he and his agent require. Because I think he wants to be here. Yeah. I really, really do think he wants to be here. Well, look, I, you know, th- this is this is. Um, I know it's maybe slightly uh, tangential to to this, but like Eddie's agent and Saka's agent, same agent, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't enter into whatever agreement they entered into with Eddie and Kedia. Uh, as much as they wanted him to stay, however, that deal is done in terms of his basic versus, you know, his signing on fee paid over the course of his deal, whatever it is, whatever it is that they decided they could give Eddie and Kedia a week, they had to be thinking at the same time about what that would then mean for Bakayo Saka, because ultimately Bakayo Saka deserves more, right? Yeah. So they kind of been blind to that sort of thing. So I don't know if it's all part of the one game you know, this guy gets a bit more and we'll make sure that Bakayo gets... You know, I don't know quite that's how it works, but you you can't, on the one hand, say, we're going to give Eddie this and then try and lowball Saka. You just can't do it. So I think I I think it'll I think it'll get done, so... Yeah, I think... Uh, I think that... I think it will too, but let's see. Okay. Um, I had a question here mm-hmm. from Abdul J who's at AB underscore Guna. Abdul says, I think it's great that Arsenal had a price limit for Martinez. And while I like Zinchenko, do you think there is a risk to signing your second choice? We've seen before how they usually fill the gap well, but in the long run, we can regret it. Um, I mean, there's always a risk. And I think obviously the Martinez thing when people talked about him playing in midfield, it was as a defensive midfielder, which he played a few times and he played at left back a few times and was like pretty much a center half his whole life. Um, Zinchenko is slightly different, isn't he? Cause we're, uh, we're talking about him being the left back cover or left back depth or left back competition, whatever you want to do uh, with regards to Kieran Tierney, but also someone who's uh, he can play in central midfield. So I wonder if it just means that they, 
have slightly reconfigured their plan, if you know what I mean. So it's not necessarily just a second choice kind of thing. It's like, okay, well, if we can get that part, then this part moves, that part moves, etc., etc. Um so they might have different ways of configuring the squad for the season based on who it is that they're bringing in, you know? Yeah, they may have felt, oh, this guy ticks, you know, two boxes rather than, than one for mm. us. Um, but I also think that people underestimate how many signings all clubs make are at some stage second choices. And, you know, the the very public nature of the reporting and the pursuits of players maybe makes that more apparent. But, you know, last seat, last summer, Arsenal signed uh, Ben White for £50 million. But before that, they really wanted to sign a guy from Jules Koundé from Sevilla. And yeah. were willing to pay the same kind of fee. You know, they wanted uh, David Wright prior to getting Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, and I'm sure if you go back further and further, there are many signings Arsenal made, some of whom have been very successful, that at some stage were not number one on the list. Mm. Um it's just the nature of competition and the nature of business. And you've got to have a plan A at the start of the window, but you've got to know that it's a live beast and you have to be reactive uh, as well mm. and tactical. And I'm just uh, relieved and pleased that Arsenal have shown a capacity to do that. You know, it's not like when it looked like the Sandro was getting away from them. And I think United was always his preference they just uh, went into panic mode. No, they just went down the list, looked at another option, yeah, and seemed to have done that deal pretty quickly. And I think, I think that's good news for us, to be honest, that we're acting in that way. And again, I, I don't, I, I don't want to go overboard because I've banged this drum a lot, but it is just a nice, reassuring feeling to feel like we are operating with some sort of plan at yeah, this present time. I agree. I agree. It's the plan that provides reassurance and uh, a little bit of confidence. Um, here's one from Rob Gunnar. Oh, by the way, the the question that I saw about the back three came from Tom underscore G or Tom G on the Discord. So sorry, Tom. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, Rob Gunnar on the Discord says, are you okay with having Cedric as our backup right back with Tommy Asu seemingly struggling with injuries, or should we do more to strengthen in that position like we're doing at left-back? Personally, I don't like the possibility of us having to rely on Cedric uh, too much this season, with right-back being such an important position to our tennis system. Yeah, I mean, my... I think I'm sort of building... Uh, what's the word? Tolerance? Uh, no, a sort of contrarian thing with Cedric where I kind of think I don't think he's the best player in the world but I do think he suffers for people's perception of him you know ultimately people didn't like that signing and they have certain preconceived ideas about him because he came from Southampton mm. and various other things but I'm not personally I don't think he's quite as I don't think he's as bad as the narrative suggests that's my sort of current inclination on this. And I don't, the reason I don't have a huge problem with him kind of sticking around the squad is partly his versatility, but also because if William Sleeb is going to be here, you know, to what extent does that free Ben White up yes. to play right back? Yes. And because I think Ben White 
has the makings of a, a really excellent right back in Arteta's system. Well, certainly as somebody who can do the job that Tommy Asu does, that yeah. that's Ben White. That's the next guy in this squad. So look, I'm never going to be the biggest fan of Cedric. Um, but if Saliba's here and we want to play in that sort of introverted or inverted rather introvert you don't want to play in an introverted way um play with that guy who's sort of inverted slightly um ben white is perfect for that isn't he you know so it may be a case that cedric is a guy who plays some cup games and what have you but if we're going into premier league games and we don't have tommy asu and i do think maybe the um the, the physical problems that he's having are just a little bit worrying um but mm. You know, that other option is there for us. It's not as if Cedric is the only option. So I'm a little more comfortable with it um, going into this season. Yeah, like you know, you need your squad players, and uh, but we we want them to only really be squad players, and I I, I get that. Mm. Um, what about? This question, it's about Amari. So, Kurt and Cobain, mm. um, do we have to take occasional situations like Amari Hutchinson going to Chelsea on the chin? We've had amazing talents make it to the first team and thrive in recent years, but is this a reminder we have to take the rough with the smooth and we're bound to lose a few on the way? Yeah, I guess part and parcel of the way it goes. I mean, I think if you're looking for a pathway to first-team football and you think it's going to be... Uh, as an academy player, you think it's going to be at Chelsea? I would question the advice that you're being given by the people who are managing your career, whoever they might be. Um, mm. You know, it seemed to happen quite out of the blue, quite quickly, didn't it? There was just a bit of talk about it, and then uh, it that was, was it. Yeah, it was quite quick. Yeah, and look, he looked like a very exciting prospect and and maybe somebody who who could have had a chance next season because it, it was a few weeks ago, maybe we were talking about there's a loan lined up for him. And that seems like the next natural step in his progression as a player, because he was on the bench quite a bit towards the end of last season. Didn't really get on. Don't think he got on at all, actually. But you could see that. Let's say he, I think it was Reading they were talking about. If he goes to Reading, does well, comes back to Arsenal. You're at a club where young players are given chances. You're given the opportunity. If you're good enough, if you're considered ready, you know, you get a chance at Arsenal. Whereas at Chelsea, you get loaned out. Then you get loaned out again, and maybe you get loaned out again, and then you end up, I don't know where you end up. You know, well, you know, I know that's I look, they, they, you can be Kevin De Bruyne or, you know, things can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, I'm not saying it's a, the be all and end all, but I'm just saying at this moment, it's look, they have brought young players through, um, you know, players who have come through uh, the Chelsea Academy. But I don't know. I don't know that that's really part of Chelsea's. Uh, it's not really the way they operate. You know, they prefer to just spend a load of money and. That's the way it goes. So I don't really know. I mean, I, I can't uh, pretend to know the motivation why whatever contract negotiations broke down with Arsenal, why he decided to go uh, for Chelsea. Um, I mean, you could insert the ching uh, sound effect there. Maybe it's money. Maybe he's convinced that he can make it at Chelsea. I don't quite know. But I, I just I can't get too fussed about it. You know, we are a club that is giving young players their chance. 
And maybe part of it as well is the fact that he knows that Bakayo Saka is in the position that he plays in. So he could yeah. just look at that and go, well, what's, you know, come on. What am I going to do I, there? I think, to be honest, one thing you know about going to Chelsea is they probably will find you a loan that will showcase you. Mm. Um, even if you don't end up being a Chelsea player, I'm sure they put together a good financial package as well. It's disappointing. There's no two ways about that. But yeah, I guess this is going to happen time to time. It's the risk of any academy and you just hope Arsenal kind of built things into the prospective deal that might protect them. Um, if he does become a, a superstar to a certain extent. But yeah. uh, um, we shall see. And I think, uh, yeah, a shame. It's a shame when they get away. But um, Yeah, but like, see, you know, a lot, of, see what it comes a lot of young players with big reputations at that level have left this football club. Um, some of them, yeah. you know, I haven't gone on to do very much and I, you know, I'm not wishing ill on any, on anybody, but I do feel like sometimes we can get a little too hyped about what a young player is going to do. And in reality, there are all kinds of factors that can determine whether or not they're going to make it as a first team player. True. It's not just the talent or, or anything like that. So, um, that's very true. Let me ask you this one from, we'll do a couple very quickly because then we've got to get out of here. Uh, ben K, who's at Ben K Ryder, says, why do some positions get discussed as a number while others don't? We keep hearing about the left eight, six, false nine, traditional number nine, the number 10, but why not the three, the seven, or the 11? Any ideas? I think, I, I, that's, I think relatively... Um recent that that's kind of bled into mainstream football coverage and i mm. think it's because tactical discussion has become more nuanced so you know whereas 10 years ago we might have talked about central midfielders or maybe a defensive midfielder or an attacking mm. midfielder now we're looking for more uh, nuanced language to kind of delineate between those different roles why not a three um <laughs> i'm sure it happens I'm sure, uh, you know, people talk about, oh, he's he's a conventional three, but he's like an inverted three. Or, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it goes on. In a 42 fucking tweet thread on yeah, Twitter yeah. as to what what is a three. Let me explain. Um, but I think it's because a lot of that relates essentially to kind of central midfield or attack. And it's because there are so many different ways of playing those roles that having those distinctions between them mm. is particularly useful and it's shorthand isn't it saying a nine is quicker than saying you know a conventional center forward um, <laughs> well people are just trying to be uh uh efficient with their language yeah, yeah. exactly we live in a, a, a Twitter world this, where it's like yeah. <laughs> how, how quickly can you say something it's, it's too much hot air as it is you know, quite literally, I did like this one from uh, Twitter, or not from Twitter, from the Discord. Um, Lefty Righty said, did Arteta and Edu prioritize signing Brazilians because we now have practically a South American climate? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they certainly will feel at home. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the Arsenal players who are training are relieved it's actually cooler here in sort of, you know, swampy Florida than it is in London right now. Um kind of extraordinary but there you go there you go um 
Anyway, I, I, the last thing to say, by the way, yesterday I went to the kit launch event in uh, Orlando. They had like a pub. Uh, mm. Did you see any of this? They had like a, a a bar that they kind of decorated as like an English pub, right? Ray Parlor. Um, and, God, that's uh, unusual. You'd never led. find you'd never find him in a pub, mate. Yeah, he's <laughs> been in every every bar I've been in on this tour. I've seen Ray Parlor in there. Basically, he's having a great time. But um, they did like a kind of pub quiz, and it was right. quite cool because. The pub quiz was going on and, you know, it's all trivia questions about Arsenal. And then it got to around about the current squad. And um, as it, as each player's name was an answer, they kind of appeared in the pub. So, you know, uh, no way. Smith Rowe was the answer to the first question. And uh, in came Emma Smith Rowe. And then um, next question was Aaron Ramsdale. And they'd sort of snuck him in and he was sat like at a table in the pub and the people he was sat with didn't even realise. And then... Uh, and I think it was Rob Holding and Gabriel Jesus. And so they were, they were there a bit, spent a bit of time with fans. Parler and Gilberto were there. Very good. So it was, it was, it was a very, uh, I'm sure it will be all over, uh, you know, the, 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 the YouTubes and the content soon sure. enough. But it's quite cool. And I, I, I've got to say, and I'm under no commercial obligations to say this, <laughs> I really like that black kit. It's it it cool. is. It is a, it is a nice looking piece of football kit and you know it, yeah. it it crosses the line perfectly between like football kit because you could wear that down on you know friday night playing your five aside like our five aside is always lights versus darks right yeah that's perfect for that but it's also the kind of the leisure wear aspect of a shirt which you know all these companies are looking for as well like we all love Arsenal in yellow, but yellow doesn't sell well because people don't want to just wear yellow out on the street. Um, so it does it does straddle the line very well, doesn't it? It's it's a really nice looking kit, and um, I might get one. I might get one. Yeah, I don't think you'll be alone. I think it's going to sell like an absolute hot cake. Who will I get on the back? But, um, um, Andre Santos again? Do you think? Yeah, I'm going to get Cedric now. <laughs> That's my new. That's my. That's my new thing. Um, and yeah, a few people have said like, "What's going on in Orlando?" Because obviously, there's two games this yeah. week. Orlando City on Wednesday. There's a big pre-match party at the Harp and Kelt Irish Pub in the afternoon. I'm going to try and pop in there. Bring your lucky charms. Of, yeah, indeed, there'll be a ton of gooners there. Uh, there is a podcast that I'm doing with Mike from the Gooners Pod and. A uh, bunch of other people, lead judges maybe, and I think Kaya's doing it. So check his timeline for details of that. I don't even know where it is. And then on Saturday, um, there's a big pre-match party and tailgate and all that sort of stuff. So loads of things. If you are out in the States or if you've traveled to Orlando, um, hopefully I'll see you guys at one of those. Hopefully see you. Um, yeah, you'll see James there. Don't be furious at me, though, if, if you don't mind. Just don't, you know, say they're hello. Not, they're not ang- they are just, not angry, really. They're just disappointed. But I've told them all, you know, you'll be back <laughs> when circumstances permit. For sure, for sure. Well, look, continue to enjoy your time out there. Say hi to uh, to everyone for me. Um, safe travels and, and all the rest of it and hopefully you can get some more uh, insight and bits and pieces into what's going on um, during pre-season looks a happy camp hopefully yeah, it stays that way 
Yeah. All right. And I, I don't know exactly when we'll record next week because I don't know how dead I'll be yeah. uh, after getting off the flight. Well, I, no, we'll I, I, yeah, what, about five, six minutes after you get off the flight? Would that be yeah, enough time be to just to compose yeah. yourself? Yeah, we'll figure it out. Don't worry, don't worry. Okay, um, we'll leave it there. To you guys, um, thank you for putting up with a week of silence while I had a bit of a holiday. I really appreciate it, but we're back. We'll uh, keep things going this week. Uh, we'll talk to James at some point next week as well. And as ever, thank you very much indeed for being here, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.